moving forward. All right. I want you to open your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Zechariah, next to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah. I've probably turned about half of you completely off because I'm coming from a minor prophet with our message tonight. <laughs> but all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is all profitable. Um, I like to give out little tidbits. I like to help people out with little concepts that I think might stick in their head and, and help them along their way in their Christian life. And one of the things I like to tell people is, uh, to, to encourage them in reading the Bible is, you know, the, the book is all about Jesus, every part of it. And so wherever you go in your reading, even in a book like Zechariah, <laughs> look for Jesus. And I'm not saying squeeze him in somewhere where he, where he doesn't exist. I'm saying look and see if he really is there. So look if, see if there's anything there that might help you understand a little bit more about him. I hear all the time people say, I hate reading the book of Leviticus. I love reading the book of Leviticus. That is just so full of beautiful symbolism of God's great mercy and salvation to us. I know you can get bogged down sometimes because there's some repetition and things. But if you just think about what it's actually trying to tell us, it, it, can, be, it can be a wonderful thing. Zechariah wrote at a time, uh, a very complicated time in the, in the life of the people of God, the people of Israel. Uh, we, we know that they were taken captive into Babylon. Sometimes you just have to wonder about certain people, right? How dense they can really be. <laughs> Not only did they have prophets telling them, that they needed to repent of their ways for years and years and years and years. And we know there's cycles up and down. You know, they would get a little closer to God, a little farther away from God. And, uh, but, but not only did they have the prophets telling them, come back to God. God wants to be merciful to you. God wants to have a good relationship with you again. But they could also see what was going on around them, particularly the nation of Judah. You know how the, the whole thing got split up into the northern tribes, Israel, and then the southern tribes took on the name of Judah. And Judah hung around longer uh, than Israel, and Israel was taken over at one point by Assyria, and, and eventually Babylon got involved in all of that as well. Uh, but, but while this is going on, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, others are prophesying, saying, hey, this is going to happen to you too. <laughs> and they have, a, they have a great visual there that they can see what happens when you turn your back on God, when you walk away from God. And uh, yet that still wasn't enough for them as well. There they are with all the prophecies, with all the activities of things going on around them. And, and even today we see how small the nation of Israel really is. It's just a tiny little speck on the globe. And at that time, as I say, uh, they had already divided into ten tribes up here and two down here. It wasn't even the whole thing that we know of as Israel. It was just two tribes basically down there in southern Israel, southern Palestinian area we would say today. And though they were tiny. And there were these great kings all around them. And yet they had pluck. They were, I mean, they were ready to fight back and keep their autonomy. And that worked for a while. <laughs> but the problem is they weren't leaning on God for their existence. They were leaning on their own abilities and their own thoughts. And uh, that never works out very well, does it? 
And so eventually they were carried off into captivity, and there was a 70-year captivity in Babylonia. And then uh, this, this happens, Zechariah and Haggai, the book that comes before it, these are, these are prophecies that were written, prophecies and declarations that were written at that time when uh, Israelites were going back into the promised land out of captivity. There were a lot of different things going on. There were, it wasn't just like all of a sudden everybody picks up and moves back to Israel. It was a lot more complicated. There were three big returnings back into the land, and there was a lot of trickle here and trickle there. And one of the big things that actually did happen was that a lot of people never got back. Isn't that kind of sad when you think about it? There were estimates, eh, you know, Estimates of 6 million, 7 million, something like that, Jewish people in the Babylonian captivity. There were others scattered around other places. The best estimates that I've seen about how many actually got back into the promised land and then began to build uh, the nation of Israel again, somewhere between 200 and 300,000. Even that sounds pretty good until you compare it to 6 or 7 million. And then you see that it was in itself just a remnant, just a small group of people. How sad that is to see this happen to Israel. How sad it is also when we see it happen in our own lives at times. And yet God is always gracious and God is always merciful. Let's read the first few verses, basically the introduction of the book of Zechariah. We won't get into all of his prophecies tonight, but let's see what he's trying to accomplish here. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius or Darius, however you want to pronounce that, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying... The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. So we're going back in history just a little bit. You know, folks, that I'm talking to you, God is saying, but I want you to remember something. I want you to look back on something that has already happened. I was sore displeased with your fathers. (laughs) I was so upset with them. I was so tired of their their wavering back and forth and their dependence upon themselves that ultimately I, I allowed a foreign power to take them into captivity. And then he says... Therefore, in verse 3, say thou unto them, Zechariah, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, from your, uh, t- um, uh, sorry, turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Again, you have a, a clear picture here of what has happened in your recent past. Those who came before you did not return to the Lord, though they were begged to do so. Uh, Jeremiah was, is known as the weeping prophet. And, and, and as he, he walked through the land of Babylon, he would come to places where there were uh, Jewish people encamped or already, already building up towns and cities, and he would weep. He came by the book, the brook called uh, Chebar or Kebar, some pronounce it that, is, that way as well. And he tells us that he came there and he sat down and he wept and he sat there For seven days, astonished at what he was seeing. He was so smitten in his heart at the the captivity that was on the people of God that it just caused him to sit there in silence. Didn't say a word, apparently, for seven days just because it was such a heavy burden on him. Now, these folks... These are descendants of those who got carried away. These are the ones, these are descendants of those who sat there in that place where Jeremiah went and said they could not sing the songs of Zion. Their hearts were too broken by losing their land and losing their relationship with God. And yet these people 
have made a decision. This group of people are among that 200 to 300,000 people who are moving back into the promised land. And God says, you also have some returning to do. Now, wait a minute. These are the good guys. (laughs) These out of the six or seven million, these are the ones who said, we're going to go back. We're going to go and trust God. And, and, And it was not an easy task. There were a lot of obstacles, but they went. And they said, we're going to brave it, and we're going to go do this because we want the Lord on our side. And yet somewhere in this, God looks down and sees also a turning away. Isn't that just the way we are? <laughs> we can be of the remnant. We can be of those who, who by, by, by choice, we belong with the people of God, and we're following the Lord. Uh, we believe we are. And yet deep down inside of, of us, when God begins to analyze our hearts and show us what's going on, many times he has to say, turn back to me. Maybe our rebellion is not quite as strong as some of theirs has been. Their father's rebellion was much worse than their rebellion, obviously, because as I say, these are the ones who've gone back into the promised land. There's still a whole bunch of people back there in Babylon who will not listen to the Lord, who will not come back and be a part of his people. And I can imagine them as the prophet speaks to them and said, turn ye to the Lord. The Lord says, turn back to him. But we did. We made this huge step. We left what we had over there that we knew and we understood, and we came back here at the word of God. And yet, there's a need here for the prophet to come and say, turn back again. Read a little bit farther, and he gives more information about what happened with their fathers. In verse number five, he said, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? An interesting turn of phrase there. The words of the prophets took hold of their fathers. At some point, these messages that God sent through his, his prophets, uh, the, the word there can be translated even over to overtake, to catch up with and grab hold of. It's like uh, kids playing a game of tag or something, you know, catch me, catch me, you know. And uh, my little grand, grandkids are learning that. The littlest ones are beginning to learn that, only sometimes they get confused. They want to get caught. I don't, I, I don't think they quite understand the, the program there. But, you know, but, but here it is, people who, who also didn't want to get caught. They didn't want to obey the word of God. But somewhere along the line, the word of God, the word of the prophets overtook them. Somewhere along the line, they had to come face to face with what God had said through his prophets. And that's what he says here. My words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dwelt, 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 uh, dealt with us. This seems to be, as best I can understand here, this seems to be a group of people who, who went their way for their entire lives, pretty much. And at the end, they realized that God had spoken to them directly and God had commanded them to turn from their ways and they had not done so. And at some point, they had to come face to face with that. But apparently, it was too late to really know the blessings of God. They were not part of this remnant that came back into the land. There is a way, there is a way to waste our life, isn't there? There is a way in the sense of serving God that we can just get so caught up in everything that we're doing and we can feel like we're a part of the program even and yet somehow miss it completely and end up at, God forbid, 
that we end up at the end of our lives and have to be confronted with the Word of God and say, no, I didn't do that. I didn't really serve God. Now, I may have had my moments a little higher, others a little lower, but as a general thought, I didn't do it. And it's a sad, sad message that we have here. But God calls, and God calls, and God calls. The, the title of the message tonight is The Calling Continues. And uh, we have to define some things here, of course. The word calling could be used in the sense of a verb, to, to call someone, all right? Or, of course, we know that it can be also used as, here goes the big professorial type stuff, it can be used as a gerund, which those of you who are all very educated and all, you know that means that it's a verb that's being used as a noun. In other words, my calling to be a pastor or my calling to be whatever it is. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it tonight in the sense of the verb itself, in the action itself. The calling continues. Now, we heard a great message this morning on how God calls us to salvation. We heard details about that. Wonderful. Uh, God calls to us. Jesus Christ said uh, uh, that he had to be lifted up. And he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. There is an effectual call from God to us. And if we accept that call, we receive his salvation. But then we move on in our lives. People of God, certainly. And we have these ups and we have these downs. And at times God has to call us to reflection. And God has to call us to examination, as we're going to be doing tonight in the Lord's Supper. God has to get our attention and say, I have a word for you. And this word eventually will overtake you if you're not obeying it. The calling is always present. That's, that's one interesting thing I find about it. Here we have all these generations. And the people of God have missed it so many times. And yet here we are at, the, at, at basically the end of the Old Testament. We're about to go into that period of time that we don't have a lot of information. Uh, we have no Bible information until John the Baptist coming back on the scene. And, and it's just going to be this big gap in God's program as far as in our minds uh, because we don't have that. God's not speaking the way he normally does. But up to this point, God is still speaking and God is still calling. And I think sometimes we get complacent too in our Christian lives and we get to the point where we say, that's been okay for a while. Now it's time for me to just take a break. If you look, look back at the book of Haggai, we won't go there tonight for the time, but this is the one right before Zechariah here. You'll find a, an argument from God that you didn't even rebuild the temple like you were supposed to. You just left that out. It's at the same time that this is coming to Zechariah, the same year of the king's reign. This is all happening at the same time. God said, you're taking care of your houses. <laughs> your houses look good. What about the temple? Where's your emphasis? Little short book on that. Just a little tiny short book on that. You get to Zechariah and you got a much bigger book, even though it's still a minor prophet, but a much bigger book that gets into the personal. Okay, you messed up over here in the, in the area of the temple, but what about you personally? And he writes a whole lot more. Uh, God gives us a whole lot more towards that. The calling is always present. It's always present tense. It's, <laughs> it's always happening right now, but it also never goes away. It never goes away. God is constantly calling us to repentance. The calling is also very personal. It's very personal. He called Israel as a nation. As I said... The vast majority of that which was Israel stayed in Babylonia. But a few individuals, he did a personal call, a much more personal call, and they came along. The calling is also purposeful. When God begins to deal in our hearts about something, he's not just vague about it. 
I think a lot of people have that image of God, don't you? And, God, and, and I know people like to have this theology that God, maybe even God created everything, that he really exists and all this, but he kind of just threw it out there and we can do what we want to, want to with it then. What, why would God do that? I mean, just logically. Why would God even do that? If he's God, if he's the one who could create all this, if he's the one who made all of this order that we see around us, wouldn't he have order in his plan that he presents to us as well and to the things that he calls? His calling is purposeful, it's not vague, and his calling is powerful. It's powerful in the sense that we heard this morning again in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is a powerful message. It's God's message. When God speaks, when God spoke here through Zechariah, there was power in that message. There was authority in that message. When Jesus was teaching, the, the, the people came up with these comments uh, that said, for example, no one ever spoke like this man did. He speaks not like the religious guys, but he speaks as though he has authority. He has the right to say what he's saying. God's calling to us is always that way. This is a beautiful book of Zechariah. The, 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 Jesus is here a lot. <laughs> As I said, look for Jesus when you're reading, even in places like this. If in uh, chapter 9, you see the, the triumphal entry of the humble king. Triumphal. We remember the triumphal entry as Jesus came into Jerusalem, but what was he writing? <laughs> a little humble donkey, foal into the city. The people were declaring him king. Hosanna, praise to the king. And yet here rides this one in humility, not on a great steed in, in, in battle armor. But he rode in in humility. And Zechariah prophesied of that in chapter 9. In chapter 12, we hear about a, a, a servant who will be pierced. We know who that is now. I'm not sure that people reading it back in that day or people hearing his message back in that day completely understood it. There's no way for me to know that. But we know the piercing that happened. I love the Fanny Crosby song, I Shall Know Him. There's some different stories about how it all exactly came about, but she was blind. And the gist of it comes down to somewhere in there, somewhere however the story actually came about, that she said that she would know Jesus when she saw him, just like the song that she wrote says, by the print of the nails in his hands. He was pierced for us. His side was also pierced. Part of what he did as our Messiah. And then in chapter 13, Zechariah talks about something we also sing a lot about, a fountain opened for sin. We know that fountain flowed out of his side as he was pierced and out of his hands and his feet as he was pierced and out of the crown of thorns as it was smashed down upon his head as well, there was a fountain that flowed. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We know now the full story. We have the New Testament to give us the declaration that only through the blood of Christ is there remission of sin. It's the only way. And Zechariah had the privilege of prophesying about that. And in chapter 13, he gives a more general statement that he was smitten. Reminiscent of those things that Isaiah told us about rejected of men, smitten of God, all of those things that Messiah had to go through. So you have to wonder sometimes. You have to, again, I, I want to point fingers at them. I really do a lot, and I don't understand them. 
So they had all of these prophecies. They had all these prophecies about Messiah. And even as we go forward 400 and some years ahead of this moment here, and John the Baptist begins preaching, and Jesus comes on the scene, and people still reject him. People who are Jewish people, people who have these scriptures, are rejecting him because he doesn't fit their mold. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder if we're waiting for a call the same way ourselves in our Christian lives. I wonder if we're waiting for God to decide that, yeah, it's okay, the way you want to do it's fine. It'll be all right. I'll just wink at it. You go on and do things the way you want them done. I understand that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to sin and we're going to have our ups and downs. And, and yet, I, I imagine most of us here tonight are pretty good people. But the Lord did institute something called the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper. He did institute something that would bring us back to remembering who he is as Zechariah does, what he has done as Zechariah also tells us about. And he also brings us a point to a point of reflection. As God called here, don't be like your fathers. Don't do like they did. Don't do like other people who have walked away from me. I'm here. My calling is present to you. If you will turn to me, I'm there for you always. And so we have a thing we call the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to give just a, a, a brief explanation right now, and then we'll get into a little bit more in just a moment. But the, one of the main things that we do during the Lord's Supper is, it, it, this is something that is for those who already have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, we as a church, we don't exclude anyone from taking the, partaking of the Lord's Supper with us. That's an individual matter that you have to decide. Our understanding of Scripture, though, is that someone who knows that their sins have been forgiven by Jesus Christ and has obeyed Him in baptism should be eligible to take the Lord's Supper with us. So you have to examine that yourself, of course, each one of us. But there's a further examination as we read, and we're not going to yet, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read where each one of us at this moment, the Apostle Paul teaching on this solemn moment says that we need to examine ourselves. We need to judge ourselves. That's a harsh word, isn't it? That's a harsh one. But God is ready to take away the offense of what we have been doing or haven't been doing. He's calling us back to himself. He's calling us as believers. And again, the message this morning told us about how the gospel is not just a one and done situation. It's not something that we do and then we move on with our lives. It's great. That moment of salvation is wonderful, but it's something that is a part of us forever. If we will let it work in us, it is still powerful every day of our lives. And tonight we get a chance to think on these things. We get the chance to think on what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus is going to do as he comes back to take us out of here one day. And we get a chance to examine, as Zechariah's prophecy gave the people of Israel, are we walking in the way of the Lord? We might look good. We may be part of that remnant. You know, I'm here. <laughs> You're here. We're here. But are there things in our lives that have taken us away from listening carefully to the call of God? He's still calling. He's always calling. In His grace and in His mercy. We sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Some people have changed some of the lyrics to that song recently. I heard. <laughs> I've heard it lately. 
bothers me. <laughs> John Newton, one of my ancestors, wrote the words. <laughs> he really might be. But anyway, <laughs> he, he wrote the words, how sweet the sound, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The latest comment I heard was, I was never a slave trader, I'm not a wretch. See, that's a misunderstanding. That's a misunderstanding because without Christ, we are wretched. We have nothing of any good in us. And let me tell you something, without heeding his daily call and the reflections that he brings to us, we are also going to be wretched in a sense. We're not going to lose our salvation. We're not going to be denied heaven. But our life is not going to be what it ought to be. So tonight as we continue, as we sing, and as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I hope you'll consider these things, and I hope you'll consider what is the Lord calling to your heart tonight. If it's for salvation, maybe you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're not sure about that. Please talk to one of us after the service, and we'll be glad to take you to what the Bible says. But what a wonderful book, isn't it? What a tremendous book we have that tells us everything we need to know about how to have eternal life and how to live that life right here. As we reflect on these things, Pastor, I'd you come and we'll sing.